the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Seven o'clock hour, and that means uh, time to sit down and to speak with Congressman French Hill. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about the Democratic uh, National Convention in a minute. But the first thing I want to talk about, there's two things. One is uh, on the Internet, and I dealt with this Monday from my own view about the National Defense Act, and you voted for it, and Crawford voted for it, and Womack, and evidently buried deep in the 1,400 pages of that bill, there's something about uh, red flag laws and the military and whatnot, and people are saying that you went soft on the Second Amendment, and I, I... Here's what I said. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong, Congressman. I said the reason the congressman voted for the act, number one, he understands that that's going to end up in a joint committee where Republicans and Democrats are going to sit across the table from each other. And Republicans are never going to allow that piece of uh, that legislation to see the light of day. And number two, you wanted to make sure that it gets passed so that our men and women in the military get their necessary pay raises and we get the necessary parts that we need uh, for uh, for our uh, uh, tanks and planes. Am I wrong? You got it right. Uh, this is the major national defense bill that funds all of our operations around the world, gives a pay raise to the men and women in uniform. It was a uh, negotiated uh, hard by Matt Thornberry of Texas. Uh, this issue that you raise, uh, which is called a red flag law, uh, first of all, I oppose red flag laws at the federal level. I voted against them. I have an A rating from the NRA. Uh, this was a small provision of the bill that was not discussed as it was passing the House floor. That comp- anyone who's guilty of a domestic violence abuse in uh, the military had the same laws applied to them that the federal civilian law has, is what it did. And they are calling it a red flag law. It's actually lining that up. That's what I've read about it. We did not discuss it before it passed. You're right, it's only in the House bill, not in the Senate bill. And I called my friend Tom Cotton, who will be involved in reviewing the Senate Conference Committee, just to alert him of this issue. He didn't know about it either. Uh, But I think it is a, uh, why I don't, I think it should be taken out of the bill. I have no problem with it being taken out of the bill. Uh, I don't think it's actually technically a red flag law, Uh, but I oppose uh, red flag laws and, uh, 
So, yeah, I think it was confusing. But the reason the whole Arkansas delegation supported our national defense bill was exactly what you said, which is it funds our national defense, our uh, critical pay raises for men and women in uniform. So there's no change in my view on that subject whatsoever. I knew there was no change in yours or Womack's or uh, Crawford's or Westerman's or anybody's. You know, it's 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 nothing but subterfuge. That's smoke and mirrors is what it is. And what's bad is when people that are on the right, you know, grab hold of something like that and start saying, you guys have gone soft. No, you haven't. You just haven't. No, that, you know what? They need no. to understand how the process works a little bit, uh, Congressman. Yeah, well, I still think uh, that uh, it should be taken out in conference if the Senate uh, reviews it carefully, I'm sure it as will I be. say. And uh, <clears throat> it's not the way that you should operate on something of that nature. Uh, but I do want listeners to know that it was not a new red flag law targeted at military people, which is the way I would describe it based on the rumor mill on the Internet. All right. Now, I want to talk about something else that has really got my ire up. You came on the right day, Congressman. My ire is <laughs> up for you, brother. Uh, this is a national story, and it's been localized by your opponent. And that is the seven and a half percent that the, the president wants to give us all uh, in our paychecks that's used, that is sent to Social Security, Medicaid and Medicare. The mm-hmm. left has grabbed hold of that and said that the president wants to bankrupt, uh, you know, Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And anybody who knows and been following this knows that the law says that those particular programs will continue to be funded at the full rate. It's as if they're trying to say because uh, you all uh, gave everybody a $1,200 check in the last uh, the, the last uh, CARES Act or whatever it was called that uh, you all won't get paid next time. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. And Joyce Elliott is parroting this, and I got to believe she knows that's a lie. Yeah, she's been dishonest on this topic in uh, in two ways. One, she says that because I voted for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that reduced tax rates for all Americans and reduced tax rates on business in America, that somehow that means that Social Security and Medicare is going to be bankrupt. That's just a, a like a connection that doesn't exist. Uh, nothing is more uh, sacrosanct in our country than adequate support for Social Security and Medicare in both political parties and in by the president. This is just, uh, I mean, it's just a typical political spin trick by uh Joyce Elliott, she's completely dishonest on the point. Secondly, on the payroll tax issue specifically that you referenced in the CARES Act and in President Trump's executive order, President Obama also deferred uh, payroll taxes during the 08-09 crisis. President Trump's trying to get consensus on that. He has not. And so he issued an executive order that if a company wanted to defer payroll taxes and let their workers have that benefit, 
uh, he welcomed it. And that's what his executive order did. It did not cut the payroll tax. It did not end the payroll tax. It simply said an employer may defer that employee piece, the worker piece. Uh, It's still owed, and the money will still be paid by the company. But it's deferred to try to help families out. The president's trying to help families out in this tough, miserable uh, circumstance we find ourselves in the pandemic. All right, so let's let's move to the stories that uh, I would say are probably on everybody's mind. I, I don't know if you saw the story. I was just talking to Liz Harrington about it, and that being uh, New Gingrich has come around to believe, as I have, that what we're watching is the 1972 election uh, replay itself out as uh, McGovern 2.0. And McGovern, of course, and I, I remembered Eagleton had to drop out of the race because mm-hmm. people found out he had had shock treatments. I forgot who took his place, and I found out, uh, thank you to William, who hit me with an uh, instant message. It was Sergeant Shriver. Remember that name? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got you have McGovern with his leftist platform, and he got his he got his butt stomped into a mud hole. And I gotta believe, as the next few weeks play out, Joe Biden may find himself in the same position. Well, Americans uh, don't like what they're seeing in their country on the social unrest side. They don't like the policies that are being promoted by Bernie Sanders, which has now written the Democratic platform, which is a radical platform of raising energy costs, raising taxes, reducing your choice in health care, having the government abolish private health insurance, and this list of promises they're making goes on and on, and I'm not even touching defunding the police. Uh, ending the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Bureau. This is not where Americans are, and Americans want their cities at peace, and they don't want looting and murder and mayhem in their cities. And I don't see anyone in the Democratic Party condemning it. I don't see anybody in the Democratic Party trying to correct it. Uh, and it's it's just got Americans in a tizzy. And, you know, you mentioned 72 about the potential outcome of the election. Yep. I think that's conceivable. But I, this feels a lot more uh, like the, the summer of 68 when it oh, comes sure. to the attitude of the people on the street. Yes. And this is not the country that we all love and cherish when we we bless everybody for their First Amendment right. That doesn't include going into the magnificent mile in Chicago and destroying every retail store and stealing everything out of it. Yeah, let me mention something to you about that. If people want to know the difference in the Democratic Party then and the Democratic Party now, if Richard Daley, the original Richard Daley, the boss, had been mayor of Chicago You know as well as I do what would have happened if the people had tried to riot on Michigan Avenue and loot all the stores. Because the Democrats still did believe in law and order at that time. Well, the Democrats were totally opposed to Sergeant Shriver in the 1960s. Sergeant Shriver (laughs) was, was Lyndon Johnson's 
uh, poverty guy. Yeah. And Sergeant Schreiber took billions of taxpayer dollars in the Lyndon Johnson administration. And he, he, as you know, didn't run in 68 because the whole world collapsed around him, not just in Vietnam, but in the United States. And Sergeant Schreiber took that money and he gave it to the most radical groups, the Weather Underground, uh, the Black Panthers, others who were involved in the actual city unrest and had them set up nonprofits. And you're right. Uh, the mayor there in Chicago, Daly, the famous Daly mayor, the mayor out in Los Angeles, rebelled against the Johnson administration right. and Sergeant Schreiber. And it was a catastrophe of bad social planning. And he, 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 I can remember they were talking about Johnson's actually giving money to radical groups who are coming into our cities and doing bad things. Uh, so anyway, long what do I say McGovern 2.0. I'm just saying that you're seeing the we're seeing it all play out again. We'll come back, finish up our uh, time with uh, the congressman. There's a lot more to talk about. Let's talk about where he thinks uh, Trump is going to go as far as helping us out uh, during the last part of this pandemic. And is he going to really have to? We'll talk about that when we come back on the Dave Ellswick show. Seven more minutes with Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Congressman, how's the president doing on controlling the narrative about COVID-19? Well, Dave, I think as he's gotten in his campaign mode and he's back uh, focused on message, I see he's regaining uh, regaining the uh, control <clears throat> the control of that. Um, that messaging. In other words, cases are falling. Uh, what I think uh, he should do is continue to get out and urge people to safely follow the CDC standards and help get the economy open. And that's what he's been doing. But be consistent about it and then celebrate success where you can see success. Uh, I mean, right now we're in a major phase, a new phase, which is as we open schools, we want that to be as successful as possible. So I think that'll be critical for this election cycle is that people see success. It may be inconsistent. I mean, I noticed where uh, UNC, you know, University of North Carolina and Notre Dame both tried in person and, and couldn't get it done. So I think we're going to have inconsistent successes, but I think the president's messaging should be we need to follow the CDC standards and, and get back to uh, – living and working. Well, what do you think about here in Arkansas? The uh, Little Rock uh, Teachers Union just came out, uh, I think, yesterday, saying that uh, all the teachers should basically strike and not go back to school. <laughs> you know, this, this is what I don't understand. and I, I think it's very locational specific. When I'm in other cities in my district, they're perfectly content to go back to school and are looking forward to it. So... I don't know if there's a lack of communication here or if it's just uh, the union stirring up trouble and creating uh, fear. Uh, but I don't think uh, that's the way to handle it. You need cooperation and you need to put the children first. Our children need structure. Our children need education. We have many, many working parents who can't be at home uh, with their children. But they don't want them to fall behind. We already struggle here with reading on grade level all the way through high school, and we don't want our kids to fall behind. So we can do this safely if uh, teachers and administrators uh, will cooperate and use all the 
guidelines that we put out there. We've got good guidelines out there, and we need to follow them. Well, I can tell you my grandchildren want to go back to school. Boy, they, they've been hammering granddad. Keep talking about that, granddad. Keep talking about that. Yeah, well, but I'll up say, in Cabot, you know, we're say, going back to school. Yeah, I'll say also, I know uh, all the superintendents I've talked to are making real accommodations for any teachers that feel like they That's have right. a health co- health crisis where they can teach remotely and the kids will be in the classroom with the teacher's aid. There's lots of ways to do this. I know it's challenging in overcrowded older school buildings and i know they have fewer choices but i see principals and superintendents getting innovative and if they work cooperatively with families and with the kids and everybody follows the rules um we can safely teach kids we really can um but i'm empathetic to the ones who are nervous and that's why every superintendent i've talked to has a a plan to try to help teachers who don't feel like they should be back in uh, in in a mix with a lot of adults and uh they're concerned about their health okay i i agree wholeheartedly uh with that and i appreciate uh, you getting behind and being positive about getting our kids back in school final thing if i want to talk about the economy i know you're the guy i want to talk to we don't have as much time as i would like to we got to get together and have lunch in the near future and talk about this the uh the Dow Jones is approaching 28,000 points. Uh, you know, NASDAQ is up. Everything's moving along. It looks like this recovery that the president has been talking about is coming to fruition. What's your thoughts? Uh, you think that we continue to see the dramatic shift to the positive that we've been seeing over the last few weeks? I do think it'll continue to slowly recover. We've created 8 million jobs. We still have 13 million fewer jobs than we had in February, which is what I'm focused on, is how do we get those people back to work. And, look, we're going to have some stubborn, tough areas. It will take a couple of years uh, probably to deal with the travel and leisure industry and and, uh, conventions and meetings and air. I think that's going to be very tough. It was tough coming out of 9-11. And yet we didn't shut down for as long as we did in this instance. So we've got some tough spots to get through. But I see business reopening. I see the uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the leading indicators that will come out a little later this week. But you saw Walmart and Target sales were good. Oh, my gosh. Um, You see home building at records. And we were talking about old Johnson and McGovern in uh, 1972. So the last time a mortgage interest rate for somebody buying a house was this low was guess when? 1971. How about that, huh? (laughs) You have a lot of people uh, refinancing their houses, building new houses. Realtors are working seven days a week. Uh, And so we have strong parts of our economy, and we have weak parts, and we want to just keep that slow progress. But we don't want to have Biden raising taxes, raising regulations, Raising taxes on health care, destroying the energy industry. He says he's, his people are his people are opposed to fracking. There's yeah. 19 million people that work in this country that are in the oil and gas business up in mostly Democratic states, I'll say, uh, you know, working, delivering cheap natural gas for cold winters. And yet he wants to he's ambivalent. He's been all over the map on this issue. But Kamala Harris is against fracking. Kamala yep. Harris is for the Green New Deal. She's for taking over our private health insurance. Uh, she, she was a radical choice. I don't know where this 
this uh, spin is that she's some sort of a moderating force on the Biden administration. Yeah, that ain't the case. Congressman, thanks for the time. We'll do it again next week. Have a great one. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Time now for us to get ready. Rush Limbaugh is on his way here at 101.1 FM. uh, The answer, we'll get some traffic weather for it as well. But right now, let's go hear what El Rushbo has to say.